uh, follow along with us and, and come on this ride as we tackle some of the hardest issues in our society, which are women's issues. Thank you to all the council women. Uh, I certainly am honored to serve next to you, and we are going to do some great things, not only in 2023, but beyond. And as our president said, the examples we set will certainly be seen by the, the children who are really looking at us. With the ray of hope that we all give, we shall shine forever. Thank you so very much for being here. Thank you, everybody, for being here. We are now adjourned.
bottom. All right, Metro TV, peace. I hope y'all doing okay. We'll get started in one minute. Parks and Sustainability Committee. Today is Thursday, March the 23rd, 2023. The time is currently 3.09 p.m. I'm Chairman Ja'Cory Arthur. We also have committee members Khalil Bashan, Jeff Hudson, Betsy Rui, Cindy Fowler. We're joined by committee member Pat Moverhill virtually, and we're also joined by council members Andrew Owen virtually and Paula McCraney. Any committee members or council members that are joining on WebEx, please turn on your camera or you'll be kicked off WebEx. This meeting is being held pursuant to KRS 61.826 and Council Rule 5A. We have three items on the agenda today. We'll start with our special discussion, knock out item three, and then finish with item two since that'll take most of our committee time. We have a guest from Parks. I think in the cut over here somewhere. Come on up, please say your name, title, department, and then we'll get into it. For members of the committee and the public, there is a presentation. It should be attached to the agenda. Thank you.
For the record, we've been joined by committee member Philip Baker. Can you hear me now? Uh, good afternoon. My name is Nathan Maywald. I am the interim assistant director for the revenue division for parks. Committee member Fowler asked you to come today, so you might have something you want to prompt or if you have some information you want to share with us, go ahead. Again, there are documents attached to this special discussion item on the agenda. Correct, yeah, today is about uh, the two uh, contract, pro contracts for uh, Cherokee Golf Course and Sun Valley Golf Course. Um, that's what we're discussing today. Any questions concerning those two documents? Committee member Fowler. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So Nathan, can you give us an overview of just how this process works for both, you know, well, just for one, because it's, I think, interchangeable. Sure. Thank you. So um, for, for all of our golf courses, we, well, we put out a, a request for proposal on RFP, um, and that, that goes out for anybody to um, provide a proposal to the city to manage our courses, um, whether they're a management company or a golf professional. Uh, we have golf professionals at eight of our 10 courses currently. Uh, the two that are vacant are, are Cherokee and Sun Valley. Uh, we did put out an RFP for both of those and we received responses for both golf courses. Uh, Cherokee received two responses and Sun Valley received three. Uh, and out of all those responses, um, we selected the candidate or the proposal that we thought was the, the the, the best proposal to, uh, to manage both of our golf courses. Uh, so they're there before you, um, Fowler Golf for um, Sun Valley Golf Course and Wilson, Christopher Wilson for Cherokee Golf Course. So uh, once, once the RFP went out and we got the proposals, we, we basically, we, ha we sit down and we have a meeting, we go over uh, all of the proposals and we score those proposals. And once they're scored, uh, we have follow-up interviews with those uh, proposers, uh, and then we decide from there, you know, who we, who we feel is best to, to manage that course. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair. So, uh, thank you, Nathan. Um, so, I don't, just a little bit of background on Sun Valley, the, um, the pro that, that was there until November 1, um, left and so that's been run by the Parks Department since then um, so it's really good to get that done Cherokee has been without a pro for two maybe yeah. two and a half years so th this is really good to get this uh, family taken care of so that you know the the patrons can enjoy the courses you know have uh, beer if they want beer because you they didn't sell beer if it was run by the uh, Metro. But anyway, um, I appreciate your support on both of these. And by the way, Mr. Fowler is not related to me. Thank you. Do any other committee members have questions? For the record, we have Vice Chair Marilyn Parker joining us virtually. We also have Council Member Dan Syme joining us virtually. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Thank we you. might have some other questions later, just email and we'll get those followed up. Okay, thank you. We'll jump to item number three real quick. R-021-23, a resolution pursuant to the capital and operating budget ordinances approving the appropriation. 
to fund the following sole source contract for the zoo concerning parts, maintenance, repair, and service for the zoo's antique conservation carousel, carousels and carvings, Inc., $100,000. May I have a motion? Motion and seconded, committee member Mulvihill. Yeah, um, I, I've agreed to sponsor this, but I believe Stephanie Moore will be there from the zoo to explain uh, what needs to occur. Come on up. We've also been joined by council member Jennifer Chapel. Thank you, Mr. Chair. All right. I'm John Beckler. I'm the guest service manager at the Louisville Zoo. Uh, Stephanie couldn't make it today. Um, so this $100,000 contract is with uh, Carousel and Carvings, Inc. Uh, our carousel was built in 1919. Uh, it's PTC 49. That stands for Philadelphia Toboggan Company. Uh, the money would cover repairs, inspections, and the creation of new figurines, which are all individually hand-carved. Um, we have a total of 46 figures. Um, Carousel and Carving Sinks is the only vendor who has the parts that are specific to our carousel uh, in all of the United States. Any questions? Any questions from committee members? Committee member Fowler. Yeah, so is, I'm sorry, is that a year, an annual contract? Yes. Or, okay, thank you. I don't see anyone else in the queue. Oh, committee member Bashan. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, just to piggyback off of Ms. Uh, Councilwoman Fowler, so is it an annual contract for $100,000, or is it just a one-time spend of $100,000 with an annual contract? I believe it's a one-time spend with an annual uh, renewal. I don't think it's, so they cover, we've pretty much had to replace, uh, being it's over 100 years old, we've had to replace a bunch of the brackets on it and a lot of the original horses on it. Um, we have put, we've kind of transformed it into something different that meets the zoo's mission. So we have like animals that are going um, extinct or are on the, uh, in our conservation. So um, yes, I believe it is, I think it's a one-time contract that will then be piggybacked off of. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? Councilmember Chapel. Uh, two questions. One, if it was an annual contract and it, if it was a one-time fee, how many years does that get the contract for? To be completely honest with you, I am not 100% sure about that, um, but I can, if you would, e if we, I could get Stephanie uh, to email or I could email that answer for you. Sure. Um, and I'm just curious, do you know the revenue of the carousel? Yes, I do. Uh, so uh, the carousel for just a single ticket is 350. If someone wanted an all day pass, it's 450. Um, the capture rate for the carousel is pretty much between 50 and 55%. And we had um, over 800,000 guests come uh, this past year. It is by far our highest ge uh, revenue generating attraction that we have at the zoo currently. Fantastic, thank you. You're welcome. Questions, going once, going twice, going thrice. All right, this is a resolution. 
that calls for a voice vote. So all in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, this resolution passes and it'll go on to the consent calendar at our next council meeting. And we'll finish up today with item number two, R-014-23, a resolution opposing the seizure of conservation land for the purpose of building a natural gas pipeline through Birmingham Ar Arboretum, I always say that wrong, and research forest, may I have a motion on table? Second. All right, the resolution is back in front of us. Committee member Rui, I know you have some questions that you wanted to get answered today. And then we also have some correspondence from some of our other committee members from LG&E that we can read into the record. And then we'll just go back and forth and hopefully we can vote today. Are you? We've also been joined by council member Tammy Hawkins. Okay, I'd like to thank everybody for coming today. And we had some questions that we were not able to answer at our last meeting, so our guests have returned to answer some of the questions that were brought up. And I'd like to thank Councilman Batshawn for getting this correspondence from LG&E to help get their side of the, of the presentation. So if our guests would like to go ahead and step up and speak. Please say your name, title, organization for the record. Thank you. Hey. Thank you, Metro Council, for, for hosting us today. Uh, my name is Andrew Berry. I'm the Director of Conservation at Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest. Um, so I'm here to speak about the issue of the proposed LG&E pipeline that would cut across Bernheim. Uh, we've been in a fight against this for over four years now. Um, you know, we see this pipeline as being a threat uh, to what Bernheim stands for. Uh, for the wildlife and also for our ability to connect people with nature for generations to come. Uh, so a little bit about the pipeline first, just to give you all a feel of, of what's being proposed. Um, this is a 12-mile pipeline that's being proposed across a section of Bullock County, which is known for its natural uh, land, um, clean water, and also some endangered species which live there. Um, the pipeline is uh, 12 inches and is proposed to be uh, constructed underground. Um, so they are requesting a clearing across Bernheim of between 50 and 100 foot uh, to construct the pipeline. So it's going to in include everything from removal of the forest permanently. Um, it's going to include blasting of rock outcrops, cliffs, uh, and other substrate. Um, trenching down below ground um, to put the pipeline in that would also cross springs, streams, and underground karst aquifers. And by karst aquifers is what I'm referring to are these underground caves and pristine springs. You all are probably familiar with the concept of, of clean limestone water, which is so important for some of the industry here in Central Kentucky. Bernheim is known as one of the refuges of where these clean springs still remain. Um, and this site in particular hosts a number of endangered species, not just uh, federally endangered bats. Um, on adjacent properties, the uh, federally endangered plant, the Kentucky Glade Crest, uh, but then also some lesser known but equally rare species that aren't federally protected, uh, but such as the uh, hidden spring snail, which is known from less than five sites in the world and is found within the aquifers beneath the site that LG&E is proposing to, to cross. Um, Bernheim is fighting this for a number of reasons. First, 
we are defending private property rights. We believe that in a state like Kentucky, um, that has a rural tradition of proud la landowners, uh, that we have a right to say no to projects that we feel uh, represent a safety threat or an environmental threat on our property. Um, we are also fighting for the preservation of natural land. Um, you know, there is no dispute that uh, there is growth in our community right now, growth all throughout Bullitt County, um, and Bernheim supports that. But we, what we also want to see is that nature and conservation can keep pace with that growth that we're seeing around the greater Louisville community. Bernheim is one of those places that works so hard to try to protect those green spaces because, you know, while they're still building new roads and new infrastructure, they're not making new natural lands. They're not making new green spaces. Um, and we think that these kinds of infrastructure projects should avoid the best remaining natural lands that we have here in the greater Louisville area. Um, we're also fighting for wildlife corridors. So this was a section that Bernheim had been working to acquire for over a decade uh, before we learned from LG&E that they wanted to put a pipeline across it. Um, it takes a lot of work to create a wildlife corridor. It is, it is nothing um, short of a lot of fundraising and a lot of time spent working with landowners and a lot of time pawing over the maps and trying to make these things happen. And like I said, in a, in a rapidly developing and growing um, environment around us with a lot of land use change. So the work that we do is really not just to protect green spaces, but it's to provide opportunities for nature to thrive and to connect up with other protected areas, but it's also to fight and allow for opportunities for people to experience nature in the future. And we're going to see those opportunities continue to decrease unless we take a stand against projects like this that continue to chop up and destroy what we've got left. Uh, we're fighting for clean water. Um, you know, this project would, as I mentioned, impact streams, springs, and underground aquifers and some of the, the animals and habitats that depend upon those. Um, it's not just a one-time thing where you dig a trench and put a pipe in and forget about it and everything's good from there on. Um, you know, this pipeline will cause excessive sedimentation downstream but also it destabilizes already unstable lands, going across knobs that have complex geological layers um, that are already unstable from past projects. And we even have correspondence from Eastern Kentucky Power to LG&E that says, this area is unstable. We recommend that you all avoid it because there could be damage or other safety concerns once you get that pipeline in the ground. So it is unstable and it is sliding actively. And we see that as a great threat uh, for LG&E in the decades to come. Um, so we're also, you know, Bernheim has been around for 93 years. We work hard to try to provide an opportunity for people not just in Bullitt County, but here in the greater Louisville community to come out and really experience nature. Um, we're working hard to, to make sure that it is around for generations to come. And we also want to provide a voice, uh, not just for the wildlife, but also the ratepayers who are going to be burdened with this project, but see no benefit from it. Okay, so LG&E um, is interested in this project because it provides some redundancy and looping in their existing gas lines. Um, but 
I will say this, there is no shortage of energy in that area. Everybody who has needed to get energy has found it, whether through gas or electrical. And I don't see that changing anytime soon, but I do see a continued decrease of nature uh, with this and other projects. I know that LG&E has other easement lines up and down the interstate and in more developed areas that they could, that they could fall back on. Uh, but they're pushing through with this project because they've seen a blank spot on the map and they thought that they had an easy path through. Uh, we're not the only ones fighting this at Bernheim. There's a number of other landowners who are concerned about it and who are also, you know, just struggling with the legal battles and the pressure the LG&E has wielded against us. Um, this project was initially proposed at $25 million. It has raised up to over $75 million, and I expect that to continue to increase as they have recognized that the engineering complexities are going to be much more difficult than they expected. They realize now that the legal battles that they're in are much more expensive, and they're, they're seeing this as a long-term project, which they were not accurate at estimating the costs now, and so I find it hard to believe that we can take them at their word for what some of these long-term impacts and costs are really going to be. Um, so with that, I, I want to thank you all again for paying attention to this issue. I feel it is a smaller part of what is a greater issue, you know, recognizing that LG&E has done so much for this community, that the people that work at LG&E are incredible people, right? And they have helped to grow and make the community of Louisville and surrounding communities what they are today. Uh, but they also have a responsibility going forward to do the right thing by the environment and also to push for sustainable and renewal, renewable energy sources um, that are going to help move to meet the climate initiatives and, and keep Louisville on pace to be a, a safe and healthy place to live. Um, we don't want the immediate demands of energy from fossil fuels like natural gas to kind of override some of the ecosystem services that places like Bernheim bring. You know, that's the clean water, the clean air, the carbon sequestration, the wildlife, the opportunities for people to enjoy nature. Um, so again, I, I certainly appreciate you all giving me the floor today to speak about this, and I'd be willing to answer any of your questions now or maybe after, after Deborah speaks too. Committee Member Fowler. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, can you tell me, is this property contiguous to the original Bernheim property? It is. Um, yeah, so the so original- So they touch property lines. Yeah, that's correct. So building these wildlife corridors, you want to make sure that everything's contiguous and that you're building off of our original base. And so we put together a number of properties that stretch out to all the way to the Cedar Grove community. And that's why we call it the Cedar Grove Wildlife Corridor. So okay. it, it is connected. It's not the main arboretum that a lot of people think about. Right. Uh, but again, these, these wildlife corridors are connections that, that extend Bernheim and get us closer to other protected areas and out near the Salt River and Pine Creek Barrens. Okay, and may I have one more? Um, yeah. So, but, but Bernheim purchased this property after the plans were already made by lg &E to put this gas line in. Um, <clears throat> so uh, LG&E had been working on the gas plan for a few years before that. Um, some of that was in secret. They, they had rolled it into a public service commission request 
um, and had some secrecy behind that. But Bernheim had actually been working on acquiring that property with the landowners for over a decade. Um, so we had been engaged in communications with them, uh, fundraising and grant writing to, to, to get the funds to purchase the property because Bernheim doesn't just have that money laying around. Uh, we've been working on the due diligence, which is the environmental assessments, um, the, uh, you know, all the things that go along with acquiring property, surveys, appraisals, you name it. Uh, so I, I would say we had been working on this, this piece of land longer than LG&E had had their eyes on it. And I think they knew that. Um, and, and they knew that the landowners that, that sold it to us wanted Bernheim to own it and wanted it to be protected as a wildlife corridor. Okay. One more. I'm sorry. No, um, no problem. So, well, I'll come back to it. Thank you. Okay. I saw committee member Bashan in the queue, but did you jump you, out? Can you jump back in? Okay. Um, actually, Councilwoman Fowler asked the exact same question I was going to ask. Okay. But um, in doing some research as well, well, to piggyback off what you said, mm -hmm. you're saying that lg &E was looking at it, you all were looking at it, and basically whoever showed up with the money first bought the property. But That's in that case, if you say you're looking at it well before lg &E did, why did and then they bought it and you all already maybe had a contract to buy it why weren't there um so lg &E didn't buy it bernheim bought it right okay but right. you already knew that the pipeline was going to go in prior to buying it mm -mm. no lg and e had not contacted us we had heard that there had been a, a pipeline proposed in that area but we had never seen a specific route and never had been connect, con contacted by lg and e um, but there's a lot of things in america you know, there could be multiple people looking at a piece of property, but, you know, who acquires that property from that, from that landowner, I believe, has the right to say what should happen with it. Um, not that, you what know, we the do the hard work to buy the property only to see somebody else waiting in the wings and come swoop it up. What are the supporting documents that say that that pipeline can't go through there prior to you buying the property or after buying the property? I'm having a hard time following you. What, what do you mean? Is there a supporting document that says lg &E has to ask Bernheim to put this pipeline in there after that was already established after you bought the property? It, it, it was not established before we bought the property. It had, it had been a request. You know, lg and &E still doesn't have the permits all that are going to be required for them to build this pipeline. Do they still don't have, have all the easements. To build the pipeline. Do you have the correspondence that showed that it is unstable track of land that can show that it is unstable to run that pipeline through there? Yeah, that, that correspondence was all submitted during some of the condemnation hearings that we had back in January. So that stuff is on the official record. I, I do not have any of it with me today. For Just for sake of the committee and for council as a whole, it would be, I would think, wise to have those correspondence in hand when a resolution is put forth us like that. Um, and you spoke of other easement lines that they can use. Do you have a map of those other easement lines that are on the outside of Bernheim to show where these other options or possibilities can be No, had? but I, w I will say that that stuff was, again, submitted during the hearings, and so it is, it is available for people that want to see it, but no, I do not have it with me today. If it's something that you guys would like for me to, to email or send in, 
I think we can do that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Committee member Rui. Yes, thank you. Uh, I just want to make sure everyone's aware that that property was bought with some state funds. So the state has a public interest in this and it was also bought and immediately put under a conservation easement. So that gives it protection against development for um, the full future. That, that, that is correct. So in, in applying for the funding, we applied for two sources. Uh, one was the Kentucky Heritage Land Conservation Fund, with the, which is a state um, grant fund for, for buying lands. The other one is the federal program, the Imperiled Bat Conservation Fund. We were eligible for both of those largely because of the, the natural condition of the property, but also because of the federally endangered species, including the bats that are on that site. And part of the conservation easement and deed restrictions was that Bernheim was pledging to protect that property in perpetuity um, and, and not grant things like easements for natural gas pipelines. So that's, that's legally why we, we feel that we cannot grant this easement to LG&E. But morally and ethically, it, it does not fit with, with what Bernheim is, is trying to do in the region and protecting nature and wildlife. A question about the, the funding. Mm -hmm. Could you give us a rough breakdown? It cost X dollars the state put in. Um, yeah, so it cost roughly $1.4 million, um, and the state put in about 706000 and the federal program, the Imperial Bat Conservation Fund, also put in 706000 Thank you. Committee Member Fowler. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, so you mentioned the Public Service Commission's meetings and the secrecy surrounding that. Are mm -hmm. they, those not public meetings? Um, it was a, a document that LG&E had, had submitted to the PSC, which was about a thousand page document that this was, that this was within. Um, and it was really related to other issues. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it eventually becomes public public uh, information, it's just hard to find and it's hard to get at. So it did, there was some delay in, in how people found out about this proposal. Okay, thank you. Committee Member Rui. Okay, thank you. Uh, we are in receipt of a letter from LG&E and uh, Councilwoman McCraney has asked that you address directly a paragraph in here, so I'm going to read it that in italics it says the gas pipeline will not interfere with the Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest. The text, Mr. Worms carefully chose his words in his March 9th presentation, leaving the committee with an incorrect understanding of the location and impact of the planned natural gas pipeline. The pipeline will not run through Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest itself, but rather will be located on property north of and not phys physically connected to the Arboretum and Research Forest. That property purchased by Bernheim in 2018 after plans for construction of the gas pipeline were already well established, is not planned to be open to the public and is meant to serve as a wildlife corridor. LG&E selected the site for the gas pipeline to maximize the use of existing utility corridors where feasible. Indeed, all 4.461 acres of the planned route across Bernheim's property will be co-located alongside an existing overhead high voltage transmission line owned by another utility, East Kentucky Power Cooperative, thus significantly reducing the amount of disturbed vegetation and any resulting environmental impact. Could you please address that? I could. 
Um, so the first point about them claiming that it doesn't cross Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest, that's absolutely false. Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest is everything that Bernheim owns, in particular the research forest portion. Um, when we bought these, these tracks that make up this wildlife corridor, um, it is dedicated also for education and research. And while it isn't within the Arboretum where we have the bulk of our visitation, there are a number of research projects that have been established on that site. Uh, projects around snails and bats and other, you know, interesting karst features. You know, there is definitely research happening over there. And there's also visitation from numerous school groups and other interested people that, that now want to come over and see the site that is, uh, you know, that's so threatened. Um, another point, so, so first, it definitely crosses Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest. And that, that section is connected, it is contiguous with all of Bernheim. And the whole idea of building these wildlife corridors is that it does, it connects out to other protected areas. Um, the, other, the other point they said, co-locating it along the East Kentucky power line. So that gets back to what I mentioned before. They, they're claiming that it lessens the impact because they're co-locating it. It doesn't lessen it. It actually is going to exasperate the problem because, as I said, there is in uh, um, you know testimony and uh, discovery within our, our court uh, condemnation trial, um, there are emails from East Kentucky Power to LG&E's engineers that say the route along this transmission line is unstable. It's largely unstable because the transmission lines cleared all the trees and it's been like that for a while and the land is actively sliding and slipping downward. And they say putting that LG&E proposed natural gas pipeline above that transmission line poses a risk not only to the LG&E pipeline but also to the Eastern Kentucky Power transmission lines and should there be a rupture because that land slides or slips or ruptures that pipeline not only will it take out the gas it could also take out the electrical transmission line which serves a lot more customers in that area than the gas line ever would um, so I would say that that co-location that they're referring to does not lessen the threat or the impact it actually makes it bigger uh, was there any other points in there that I that I missed not at the moment, thank you. Okay, thank you. Committee Member Bashan. Thank you, uh, Chair. Um, to the last uh, little paragraph up on the screen there. Finally, it is important to understand that once constructed, the existence of the pipeline will not hinder the planned use of the property for natural wildlife corridor. The pipeline will be located underground, allowing all manner of wildlife to cross over the land above the pipeline. It does, I mean, nature can take, I mean, grow back on its own. I mean, it's, it's been <clears throat> I mean, proven it, fact it, that that's happened for hundreds of years now. Yeah, you know, this is a perpetual threat to Bernheim. This easement lasts forever, okay? And so you're, you're correct. The pipeline may go in, they may cover it back over, and you might have deer and other wildlife moving over top of it. Uh, but it does represent a permanent threat to the environment and the safety. Should this pipeline ever rupture, uh, we could have a huge safety and environmental disaster. Um, it also grants LG&E the right to be on our property uh, forever, doing things to 
to you know, maintain this pipeline, maybe even, even adding new pipelines on the site. Who knows what is transported in the future? Now it might be natural gas. There is no limitation on what that easement could transport 100 years from now, 200 years from now. And this is something that Bernheim and other private landowners near us are really concerned about, about other for-profit corporations seizing our land and doing things with it that don't fit with our own values or our own safety. So it's a, it's a permanent threat. Whether or not you can cover it over and, and wildlife can cross over it or we could drive over it, it's a permanent threat. Thank you. Chair, can I say one more thing? Um, have we all as a committee and as the people, you know, knowing that the green space can grow back and whatnot, and I understand what your point is, right? But have we thought about the significant um, impact and what it will cost the constituents and the residents um, in the state of Kentucky if lg &E has to alter the route and if it costs upwards, let's just use the round number of $100 million, that's just still going to be on their baseline and it's going to trickle down to us who are the lg &E payers for our utilities on the day-to-day -day basis and that percentage is... Um, is that not a factor that we consider as well? I mean, our rates are constantly going up and inflation is through the roof everywhere you turn around as the feds just increased the interest rates the other day. You know, so we're everything is raising and this is an opportunity to keep costs down and we're willing to pay more money to have them moving around? No, I would argue that it, it, it will save ratepayers a lot if this pipeline does not get constructed. Um, LG&E made an unwise decision. Uh, they proposed the wrong pipeline, the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and doubling down and, and saying, you know, throwing more money at it to, to find a solution maybe isn't the way to go. Um, the pipeline was proposed to serve a limited number of customers originally. LG&E is now, you know, spinning that and saying, oh, well, there's a lot of other people and, and uses. Um, LG&E has the engineers, I'm sure, working over there now that already have another route picked out, and I bet they can do it cheaper than trying to go across places like Bernheim, and it will be a much safer and more reliable product for them in the long term. That's, that's my strong opinion on that. Last thing, Chair, if that's okay. Have you had those conversations with LG&E directly? Uh, to the extent that they will discuss it with us. But at this point, you know, most of what we've, w well, we did. Early on, we sat down at a table with LG&E several times and explained the situation to them. And now it's just gotten into a legal back and forth and the only people we can really, you know, correspond with pretty much are the lawyers. And um, so, yeah, these, these conversations have been had both in person and in the public sector. Um, and so there's a lot of opinions out there about it, uh, but we have seen that Bernheim um, has a tremendous amount of support right now in the community. And we see this as an opportunity for LG&E to do the right thing, to be a leader, to, to protect the environment, protect places like Bernheim, and, and find solutions that really meet the climate initiatives here in the greater Louisville community and push us towards a more sustainable, renewable energy future. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're about a quarter till four, so I wanna invoke the McCraney rule. If you don't have something new to say, let's just keep it pushing. <laughs> Councilmember Owen. 
Thank you all. Thank you, Chair Arthur. Um, a, a couple of things I want to bring to light here. I, I'm looking over this, uh, this letter from LG&E, and there are a couple things that I take particular exception with. Um, the first one is that LG&E makes it very clear in this letter that they don't think that this committee or the Louisville Metro Council should be involved in these discussions. And I take particular exception to that. If you don't understand that environmental contamination is not, is not specific to any one place, then you're missing out on the entire picture, number one. If the, the, the parent company of LG&E and KU is based in Pennsylvania, and if they burn gas and coal in Kentucky, and we breathe that air and have that contaminated water in Kentucky, that does not affect the, the executives of PPNL, right? So the, acting like we don't have any say in what happens in a neighboring county. The second piece of that is we, as ratepayers and constituents, not as Louisville Metro Council, but we guarantee LG&E a monopoly when it comes to energy distribution in this community. So again, if we don't have a right to say what happens, what happens in a county next to, next to us, I don't, I don't really understand that argument, and I think it's very flawed kind of understanding. So those, those two reasons, I take particular exception to them saying, this isn't your business, you need to stay out of it. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is they talk about this being the least cost option. That may be the case today, but as energy sources, um, renewable energy sources, the cost of those sources goes down exponentially on a year-by-year -year basis, this will be a trapped asset where they have spent millions and millions of dollars for what in very short order will not be the least cost option. But will ha what will happen at that point is they will say to all of us, oops, we spent the money, and so we have to continue to use natural gas long beyond when we need to be using it as a society. Finally, we, when we talk about least cost options, nobody ever talks about externalities. In economics, externalities are all the costs to society that you can't put a price on, right? So when we talk about this being the least cost option, we're ignoring the cost of the climate, the cost of you know, having dirty air that we all breathe, which gives us asthma and other things, and there are costs associated with that. We're ignoring all the externalities that go with gas and uh, coal electricity produ production. So I, I, I just, I, I'll leave it at that for now, but th those, those are things that are, in, uh, finally I'll say that the first part of this letter, they talk about how LG&E understands the importance of environmental stewardship. I mean, I'm sorry, but when you look at what they're projecting to do over the next 30 deca decades, 30, 50 years, and they're, they're planning on continuing to burn coal and natural gas for all of those decades, they clearly have no idea about economic and environmental stewardship in the long term. And PPNL, their parent company, has one of the worst records as a utility producer of any company in the United States. They try to act like in this letter that they point to Arizona and other places, but we are 
behind the curve big time as a society as it relates to LG&E and KU and their production of energy. Just want to make that very clear. Thanks very much, Chair. Vice Chair Parker. Vice Chair Parker. It shows that you're muted, but when you're mute, we can't hear you. We can't hear you even when you unmute. Maybe reset your connection. Committee member Fowler. Thank you. Um, so th this, this states that there are um, eminent domain concerns and that the Bullitt Circuit Court uh, put to rest that um, they denied Burnham's motion for further review of that issue. Are you familiar with that? Um, so the, the condemnation trial was in January, and there has not been a ruling yet on that. Uh, okay. So we're waiting on uh, Judge Burris and the Bullitt County Circuit Court to make a ruling. Um, but, but as of right now, um, there has been nothing. I think it says that Kentucky Supreme Court denied Bernheim's motion for further review of that issue. So that was um, a motion from the Kentucky Heritage Land Conservation Fund okay. and the Energy and Environment Cabinet. Uh, which was de which was defending um, the Commonwealth of Kentucky's um, uh, sovereign immunity against condemnation for these kinds of projects. So essentially, saying that land that is that is owned by the state or has a has a specific interest of the state, like those funded by the Kentucky Heritage Land, land Conservation Fund, um, should not be um, it, condemnation of that those properties should not be allowed. And uh, th they were not successful. That was not uh, specifically, a, while it was related to a Bernheim issue, it was not specifically brought by Bernheim. Okay, thank you. And just one more if I can. Um, so how, how large, how many miles or feet is the um, property line that connects the two tracts of land? Uh, you're talking about within the, the Bernheim? The, the newly the purchased property. Bernheim and Cedar Grove Wildlife Corridor? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the width of it is probably close to a mile. Um, okay. I, I don't have that number exactly in my so head. So a mile coming from Claremont Road straight back towards No, it's, to a, the it's south. a little bit misshapen. So when you cross over Highway 245, you have the original Bernheim tract, which right. Mr. Bernheim purchased in 1929. And it goes up into an area uh, known as Cave Hollow. Uh, but then over the last decade, we purchased um, some other tracks that include the headwaters of Cave Hollow, the cave itself, uh, a 950-acre property called the Big Level, which is kind of a big glob there. So the corridor is a little bit misshapen, and it, and it kind of snakes out and then, and then up to the north. Uh, but it is. It's a, it's a pretty substantial uh, piece of land. Uh, the track that they're trying to cross right now and proposing the pipeline on is about 494 acres. Okay. Um, and then the length of that pipeline across the Bernheim section, um, I think was about eight tenths of an acre. So it's getting, or I'm sorry, eight tenths of a mile. So it's getting close to about a, 
a mile long. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a substantial piece of property that allows for movement of wildlife, including migratory birds, bats, um, you know, terrestrial animals like bobcats and other, other things like that. Okay, and I just wanted to say that this is a resolution, and David Yates used to always say, it's just a resolution, but he would still enact them. So, um, I, so I'm just saying it's just a resolution. So yeah. it's really like, we have no power here, but you know, we're glad to hear both sides. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. I appreciate that. I mean, just us having this discussion is really important. And, and having you all aware as Metro Council members, uh, we greatly appreciate y'all's time today. Vice Chair Parker, can you hear us? Can we hear you? Nope. Her dog's got his paw. Dog yeah, the uh, dog. If, if she would like to text or email a question real quick, or put it in the chat, I'd be glad to, to address it that way. So, that's okay, we're gonna try letting you talk. Okay, one second. Okay, ready to ask your question, hold on. Do it fast for me, okay? Go ahead. Okay, let me go. Do you want me to talk through the phone? Yeah, through your phone. Yep. We can hear you, yep. Oh, okay. All right. Um, do we actually have a map that we can see of where the pipeline would actually go? Um, I, I am not uh, showing a presentation this time, but I do believe last time when Dr. Uh, Worms was here from Bernheim, he, he did show a map on the on the screen. Uh, today, I just wanted to have a conversation with you all and not, not bog you down with images. Uh, but if that's something that you, that you would like, we can we can send that along with anything else that that any of the Metro Council members would like to. to Just see. for the members of the public and the committee, there is a presentation, 2023 Metro presentation underscore one. It's a PDF and it does feature a map. Okay. Um, and how deep would the the pipe actually be placed underground? Um, that's a good question. So we would think it would be at least four to five foot. Of course, I'm, I'm not an LG&E engineer, um, but you know, it, it will be underground and it will be covered over. In some other sections of Bernheim, you know, we had we have existing easements from other pipelines, like an oil pipeline that runs through the center of Bernheim, uh, that was that was there before we bought the property. We've had a number of problems with that. In recent years, they actually had to do a major um, restoration overhaul of that pipeline just last year. And, um, you know, in places that pipeline had eroded down to where it was just several inches under the ground. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the range that, that we think it would be in five foot okay. to the surface. Um, did I hear you say that the trees are already cleared from that area? Uh, no, the, the trees are cleared from the transmission, the East Kentucky Power Line transmission, which is directly adjacent to it. Um, on the on the site that they're proposing this this new natural gas pipeline, it is completely forested. Um, it's natural uh, geological outcropping, so you have a number of, of really nice rock features, uh, streams, and mature forest on the site right now. Okay, and one other thing. 
What you mentioned there were projects in the past that had caused lighting activity. Mm -hmm. uh, what were those projects? Um, so on that site, the Eastern Kentucky Power uh, Transmission Line, which, which as LG&E mentioned, they wanted to co-locate next to that. Um, just the clearing of the land and such a wide strip through there on the unstable geology is what caused those slides and slips. Um, and you know, some of that is, is natural in the knobs. You're seeing this all throughout um, the knobs. The things, things just slide down. You've got complex geological layers of sandstone, shale, and limestone, and, and water moving in between them. And so you've always seen a sloughing you know, of that land. And, and I mean, that's how knobs are formed, right? But um, when you clear the trees off of it, and and then you know leave that open and exposed along those edges you see that that sliding and slipping exasperated um and so that's the situation we're in right now and i, I believe that uh, uh miss deborah potts who who wanted to speak next says she does have some of that correspondence that she would like to read to the council about the uh the instability along along that section um just this is my last question. Would the engineers would they not account for that? The instability and it mm -hmm. seems like that could pretty much happen anywhere that they would put a pipeline. Well, you know, I I, I really hope that the engineers will take account for it. And I and I believe that there are some really educated and informed people at LG and E that are pushing against this happening because they know what what the dangers are and what, the, what could happen if LG&E puts this pipeline in and then within the next decade, it fails. And they know what, what that's gonna do to LG&E's reputation. Um, if they use some of those alternative routes, which follow some of the more, you know, the, the major um, uh, tra transportation routes along highways and other flat land, they will not have the same problems. It's when you start crossing the knobs and the unstable rugged terrain that those pipelines have a lot of problem. But if you stay in the flat area, like think about like uh, um, the Louisville Water Company and how they run their water pipelines or the, or the uh, MSD, how they, they follow the, you know, the gradient and the, the contours, um, then you won't have as much problem with the sliding and slipping. And LG&E knows that and, and we're hoping that they will see that those alternative routes are gonna fit this project a lot better for their needs, for Bernheim's needs in the community. Thank you. Thank you. Committee member Rui. Thank you. I just wanted to call attention. This has taken uh, quite a bit longer than we anticipated that there is also another presentation in the documents that we may not be able to get to today but I think it'll address a lot of concerns as far as the instability of the land and the dangers of slippage and pipelines breaking and exploding. So if you have the opportunity to look at that, I do recommend it. It's the one labeled Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest Presentation. It's a PDF. Could your guest give us a quick overview of that? Yes, I can. Thank you all. Please say your name for the record. Uh, so that, it's actually set on I'm Deborah Potts Novgardov, and I am here today to represent the coalition. Um, 
of many organizations and people who care deeply about this and oppose the Bernheim, um, uh, the pipeline through Bernheim. Um, clearly, I, I don't have time, I'm assuming, uh, Chairman Arthur, that I don't have time. My presentation was about eight minutes long. I probably don't have time to go through the whole thing, right? If you could give us a quick overview, we would appreciate okay. it. Okay. Well, I wanted so to talk first about why um, Louisville Metro Council should care about this. And one we've already addressed, which has to do with the ratepayers, and it's it's rate mostly Louisville ratepayers that'll be paying for this. And who knows how much this is really going to cost. Another is that Bernheim has been a tremendous uh, friend to, to um, Louisville, but with programs, and um, Dan, if you could just pull that slide up, if you don't mind. Here are some of the partnerships that Bernheim has with um, Louisville and work they do with, with our minority communities, with um, uh, folks who are marginalized, and you know, it just feels like we need to stand, you need to stand as a friend to Bernheim as well. Um, I also wanted to talk about the need for this pipeline. This pipeline originally was intended for the first five years to serve um, uh, Jim Beam. And that's, that was in court discovery. Most of that was going to go to Jim Beam. Jim Beam is now moving toward biogas and and this is really important for you to know. Not only is Jim Beam not going to be using additional new sources of energy that this pipeline was originally intended to serve, but they're not going to use the, um, the resources, the gas resources they have been using. My understanding is that Jim Beam has been the second largest consumer, uh, second only to Ford in our state for gas. and and. They're not going to use any of that anymore. So that leaves that excess. And so I, I just, you know, LGNE has not been at all forthcoming about who this is intended to serve. Um, and uh, if, it's, if it's local, and, and Reverend Owen made this point last time we were together, if it is just developments, if it is residential communities, they can and should be served by electricity and over time by developing renewable resources for that electricity. Um, I really wanted to talk about, oh, here's a, this is an interesting slide that you were among the very first to see. This comes from Jim Beam Suntory, and that shows that they will not only have everything they need for their, uh, out of the biogas, but they're going to, uh, projected to earn almost a million dollars by selling excess electricity back to the grid from their bio uh, digester. So, I, you know, where's the need? Why do we need to build a new pipeline through Bernheim Forest, destroying a wildlife corridor in the process? Um, I really wanted to talk about the risks a little bit more, and, and I have some of those documents or excerpts from some of the documents that you were asking about. Um, there was an article in Green America that states natural gas pipelines explode with alarming frequency in the U.S., killing and injuring people and causing millions of dollars of damage. Uh, this uh, slide that you're seeing in front of you, this is 20 years of national gas explosions, and you can see um, the fatalities, the injuries, and the tremendous cost 
to, um, uh, to property out because of gas explosions. Uh, this, isn't, this is all gas, not just the high-pressure methane gas. I wasn't able to tease that out. But here's the uh, next slide was a list of pipeline explosions in Kentucky. So, you know, this is not um, pie in the sky. This is not imagined. This is real. This has happened in our state. And look particularly at the Estill County gas pipeline. That was caused by land movement, um, which I think is really germane to what we're talking about today. So there is true reason to believe that the pipeline through Cedar Grove Wildlife Corridor is a disaster waiting to happen. You heard from Andrew about this, um, karst, unstable terrain. And I wanna, I wanna offer two quotes. This is from the Center for Biological Diversity to the Kentucky Division of Water. Uh, this letter states, the Bullock County pipeline will traverse approximately five miles of steep terrain with 20 to 40% slopes that have poor soils with a history of landslides. LG&E will remove approximately 39 acres of forested habitat cover, including areas classified as high soil slippage potential and will require special engineering techniques and subsurface draining, drainage measures. Also, an email was sent from Eastern Kentucky Power Company to LG&E in 2015, and um, they provide electricity to Bullock County. Uh, and what they say is both maintenance, though this is an email to LG&E, both maintenance and engineering are not comfortable with the proposed pipeline construction or final location. Again, the concern is with the overall stability of the area. Sorry, I don't have more favorable answers for you, but with the soil stability or slip issues we have had in that area, there's just a lot of concern with any possible disturbance close to our facility. Finally, LG&E talks about flooding in one of their own publications, talks about flooding being um, a major cause or a common cause of damage to uh, gas pipelines. And um, I wanna show you, these are slides taken by Kim Rummage, who is a local landowner whose land, I think it has been condemned, the pipeline is due to run through her land. And you can see the dates when these pictures were taken. Um, and, and the land is tremendously flooded. So, you know, I wanna say between flooding and landslides above ground and sinkholes underground, what could possibly go wrong? We really, really don't wanna be the next East Palestine. Um, so there are alternative sources um, of uh, energy. I, I have some technical stuff I could offer. Uh, Councilman Owen um, uh, kind of summarized that, so I'll leave it at that. But it really, we really should be moving toward not gas, but electric and renewable sources. In fact, Reverend Owen has uh, data from research projects that are beginning to show that renewable sources are actually not only more reliable, but more cost efficient. So um, we don't need a new ga methane gas pipeline in our area, not one that threatens endangered species, violates a conservation easement, destroys a critical wildlife corridor, and puts water and air at serious risk. Please, Metro Council and this committee, amplify our voices here today by passing this resolution. Thank you so much, committee member Baker.
Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, I want to first thank everyone who uh, spoke today, uh, my colleagues, and also everyone in the audience. And Mr. Chair, I'd like to call the question. It's a motion. Do we have a second? All in favor? Any opposed? I think we might have been calling it no. anyway. I don't see nobody else in the queue. Since we have somebody abstaining from this, we'll need to do a roll call vote, please. We have someone abstaining, so we'll have to do a roll call vote. And this is a vote in support of or in opposition of the resolution before us. This is a vote for the resolution. Vice Chair Parker. Can you give us a signal, Vice Chair Parker? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Vice Chair Parker, thumbs up or thumbs down. Are you saying present, ma'am? Thank you. Committee member, member Motherhill. I will need to, to abstain due to my wife's employment with LG&E. All right, we got three yeses, two noes, one abstention. And two present, so the resolution passes with approval and we will actually put it on old business in the next council meeting. Thank you all so much. Thank you all so much. And we don't have any more business. We're adjourned. Do you have anyone in your family, people that you care about, who are in the military or have been in the military, please raise your hand. Look around you. Isn't that impressive? We have cousins, we have aunts, we have uncles who get deployed around the world with the military, and that affects children more than anything. Thank you.